Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald. This time I think the recording will go great. Also joining us, Jed Brewer. Feeling positive. With us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, Lee Younger. Oh no, he said it out loud. He's tempting Pro Tools. <laughs> People love the inside jokes. I hope. I know I do. We do a lot of them. So presumably the people <laughs> like them because they're still around. But we have got a great show for you. We've got some excellent of uh, some of your excellent questions. But first, I'm forced to declare a prophetic emergency. Oh, oh. prophetic. We have a, a story of two movie projects, let's say, to use a very generous uh, interpretation of that uh, term in both cases. One because it's a parody trailer, and one because eh, movies a little bit strong. But <laughs> uh, so the in the last couple of weeks, the internet has uncovered a a joke trailer from 2011 with the title Shark Pool. <laughs> and if you haven't heard of this, <laughs> hear us describe it and see if you can guess why a lot of people have dug up this two and a half minute spoof trailer from 10 years ago and it's getting a lot of play currently it's the premise is there's a pool party you know there's there's buff dudes and bikini clad babes and it's a movie about a pool party the problem is as you may have guessed from the clever title there's a shark in the pool at this party <laughs> mm. now there are many differing ideas on how to deal with the shark in the pool <laughs> as one reddit user put it they got the shark denier the just be careful around shark sky the but i want a party whiner and even and this is i know a personal favorite of jed the if only there was something we could do about the shark in the pool guy we can outsmart it we just need a plan think mike no just don't go in Quiet. Let him think. What's happening? You don't know that this is a shark. What are you, a Marines biologist? This is all my fault! Don't say that. There is nothing we could have done. Yeah, there was. Several things. (laughs) (laughs) So there are some, some issues in the world where maybe people are feeling emotionally connected to the guy who's saying, what if we did the one thing that would definitely work and having a bunch of people say, boring, not doing that, moving on. (laughs) But is there anything from anyone else that has struck us about the finding almost an actual time capsule of something that had a prophetic call? Wow. Yeah. None of us are as original as we'd like to think we are. (laughs) <laughs> and maybe the saddest part of the whole thing is it was made in 2011 when largely people still had hope in our systems and uh, ah, yeah. facilities and structures. It's going great. They ran into an issue that we often have on this show of trying to do something that is funny in an exaggerated way and then reality lapping you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly it. Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, we, you know, we talk about uh I, I guess we we had a show a few months ago now where you know there was an issue about you know the how bent out of shape Christians get with the whole like modesty issue and the way people dress and all of that business, and the idea that you could really 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 upset the the Christians by suggesting that they put more cloth on the body mm. that was something we really didn't see coming. Yeah, that that was a twist. If only there's something we could have done. That's just amazing. There was several things. <laughs> <laughs> and I think in ways big and small, we've all experienced in the last couple of years, someone bringing about something negative in their own life through a series of their own choices and their analysis being, well, there's nothing anybody could have done. <laughs> anyway, yeah. and it's a, it's a unique uh, experience to be 
to be uh, dealing with seeing that on the silver screen. And that brings us to part two of Prophecy Movie Talk. Now, this is a obviously that was a comedy video that was prophetic, really in its own, uh, despite itself. It set out to just kind of be a spoof of the way people are. And then it got way too real. This has recently been brought to my attention. Uh, This is a movie from 2018, which I started off being uh, quite perturbed that none of our podcast friends had brought this movie to, because, you know, horrible Christian movies are kind of a uh, a recurring theme on the show. And I thought, well, it's awful that no one brought that to my attention. But then I thought, maybe that means no one who listens to the podcast knows it exists. And that made me feel good about all you people. Yeah. And the choices you make in your life. And I'm about to ruin that for you. Because uh, this movie was released in October 2018, titled The Trump Prophecy. Oh. <laughs> based oh boy. on a story by Orlando-based firefighter Mark Taylor that he named The Commander-in-Chief Prophecy. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a number of details about this. But from the Wikipedia, we'll start with the, with the plot synopsis. The, the film focuses on Taylor, who suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder after a house fire that kills a young boy. In April 2011, after a prayer from his wife, he is told by God that Donald Trump would one day become president of the United States. By the time near the 2016 election, Mary Colbert learns about the message and starts a national prayer chain to make God's wish of Trump becoming president come true. Wow. Wow. There's a lot going on there. and. I'm not sure anything in my mind has summed up the modern kind of white American evangelical thought of the idea that God wishes for this thing to happen. We better all pray so that it does. (laughs) I feel there's something uh, very telling in that. But so uh, it goes on, you know, that's basically the story. This guy says Trump should become president. Nobody believes him. Because that was a crazy thing to say in 2011. And then it happens. And as they say, the story unfolds from that point. That part we're all familiar with. Here's where things get interesting in the behind the scenes. A little bit of Hollywood scuttlebutt, if you will. Uh, The production of this movie was a joint venture between some movie studio I've never heard of and the Cinematic Arts Department at Liberty University. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Well, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page here, and it does say, and this is is significant, that the film did land at number 22 on the American box office chart. So that's like out of all the movies that you could have seen that week, it was, you know, in the top 25. Uh, I didn't know that there was as many as 22 movies that you could see in a given week, but it's somewhere in the top 22 of those. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty good. Uh, It did gross uh, $671,000, which is also really significant uh, because it's almost the $2 million that it cost to make it. (laughs) So that's like, hey, you know, we're getting somewhere with this. But here's my question, fellas, because, you know, like uh, when it comes to politics, I'm a, I'm a little bit strange because I don't uh, feel I don't feel like these people are like heroic figures in my life. You know what I mean? It's like I I don't I don't feel like they're somebody that I like look up to and want, you know what I mean? Like, I don't even really know that much about the state comptroller. And if someone wanted to make a movie about him, I wouldn't want to see that movie either. You know, like, you know, if if there was a movie about the postmaster general, I just wouldn't be that psyched about it. I mean, if it's, if there's like aliens, okay, now you, you know, now I'm interested, but, you follow, I, I, I find it a little bizarre that people get that, you know, jazzed about politicians. Yeah, I'm looking over the, the plot synopsis, and it looks like, um, I mean, 
some crazy, you know, uh, nightmares about being taken hostage by a fire demon and then mm. watching television to numb his illness um, and then uh, dreaming about a glowing energy orb that explodes electrical energy into him and then um, hears the voice of the president in his head. This is how, I, I don't know how most prophecies work, but um, that is pretty wild right there. And I like the idea, and I don't know if this would work, Matt. I don't know if we could greenlight this. I like the idea of combining the two movies okay. that oh. we're talking about mm. here. and just having There's a prophecy like, in the pool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> prophecy pool. Um, also, the shark is also there. And, um, and just like, you know, or you just have like a shark shaped, uh, inflatable couch that the guy, uh, you know, watches TV from in the pool. And then there's an electrical energy orb that explodes the inflatable shark. I mean, I just feel like we need to combine these two stories and see if we can actually make a watchable movie at some point. Well, I think definitely more fire demon, less, you know, electoral politics is a great way Certainly. to go. And I think this is the the part that uh, they kind of reads it from the from the plot synopsis. There's the the guy who has the thing. There's the lady who starts the prayer chain. Uh, says Taylor continues journaling accounts of his dreams and hearing from God up until the start of the 2016 presidential election when he shares his writings with his doctor. Don Colbert and his wife, Mary. At this point, these people don't do what they should do with the journalings of someone who's clearly having issues and uh, prescribe him something. Instead, Mary <laughs> notices a, quote, rhythm of truth. Mm. I'm not sure we could be trusting evangelicals to be deciding really the rhythm of anything. We've, yeah. we've all heard him try to clap, so <laughs> there's that. When reading them and builds up a national prayer chain so that Trump will be president and in turn Taylor will be relieved of his disorder. So now we're just getting into like medieval, the touch of Kings thing. But here, here's the, here's the money line. She obtains participants by calling others via phone and instructs them to use a shofar in order to increase the chances of Trump winning the election. Uh, uh, Despite several news reports of the unlikelihood (laughs) of Trump being elected, a miracle occurs when he wins, leaving Mary... Mark and Mary Taylor, happy and relieved. Worldwide coverage of Mary Colbert's shofar group influences so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, yeah. And uh, again, when they make the movie about themselves, these people who make themselves the main character always turn on, turn on themselves because the real climax of this movie is the people on the TV saying, Aha, well, I guess blowing the shofar is pretty cool and not weird. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't it, man? Yeah. I just want to know if when Matt releases his shofar solo album, he would please title it Rhythm of Truth. Yes. Rhythm of Truth. I'm going to be the Zam Fear of the shofar. Oh, wow. that's a joke for no one. (laughs) Kids, before Spotify, you wouldn't believe the thing that the things that a record label could put a little promotional money behind and would really get market penetration. (laughs) But if I could go ahead, Jed, is it is there a chance? I you know, just putting it out there. Is there a way that we could get a story from the point of view of the fire demon? Oh. Because it feels like that's a story that needs to be told. Like, I'm not convinced that, you know, what's his name is innocent and all this. I'd like to hear the fire demon's point of view. Yeah. <laughs> There's two sides to every story, Jed. The fire <laughs> demon just on a couch in a in a crisp white shirt saying, I was very clear. I said, Mark, you've been through a lot. You need to get some help. And he just kept saying, <laughs> writing down stuff about who's going to be president. Just because I'm a fire demon doesn't mean I don't believe in the healing power of talk therapy. I was very clear to Mark. And I can't be held responsible for his decisions. I would pay to see that movie. Yeah, I, I would. Yes. Sir Ian McKellen is the fire demon. <laughs> I, I I really tried to stop the glowing orb. I just didn't get it to my feet fast enough. It slipped past. <laughs> I thought it'd be comforting. I thought he'd like it. 
<laughs> Look, I'm a fire demon. I get it. You're going to assume I'm going to be up to some sort of mischief and mayhem. <laughs> <laughs> now, you listen to all that about this insane movie that is a co-production of the Liberty University uh, Theater Cinematic Arts Department and stars, as Mark Taylor, Chris Nelson, a theater teacher at Liberty University. And you think, surely I've heard all the saddest details about Uh this movie. Maybe Uh the details that hurt Matt and Lee the most. And dear listener, you have not yet, because we need to take a moment as we exit this topic to talk about the screenwriter. There's two screenwriters uh, credited on the project. One is named Rick Eldridge. Rick Eldridge is a sitting member of the Tennessee House of Representatives, representing the fine Mm. people of the 10th District, largely in Morristown. And if you've ever driven through Morristown or been to Carson Newman, a lot of things start to make sense. And before I take a breath with that sentence, I will go directly to declaring emergency off. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. Um, folks, if you could all stop making prophecies, that'd be great. Yeah. I know it seems real cool to like um, you know, I can tell the future or whatever, and watch, you know, sci-fi movies. If you read the actual Bible, n- like only like one good thing. The birth of Jesus is like the only good prophecy. <laughs> Everything right. else is doom and destruction. So no more prophecies, please. If you do make a prophecy, you're going in the shark pool. Yep. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Now we're bringing things together. You thought the belly of a whale was bad? Nope. Shark pool. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We, until then, until we can uh, build our shark pool left over from the volcano-based layer from a previous emergency segment uh, in which you put our amateur uh, profits, uh, we're going to keep uh, putting our uh, resources towards putting out things like Bridgebox. comes out the first of every month. You can check that out at missionusa.com slash Bridgebox. And, of course, our video service, the BridgeCast, every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time. If you can't join us live, you can catch that at your leisure over at Facebook.com slash The Bridge Chicago. If you can't be with us on Tuesday in Chicago, The BridgeCast is the next best way to experience The Bridge for yourself, and we hope you will check it out. We're going to jump to our first question here. If you hang out with us all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with us. Or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links at the bottom. Our first question comes in and says, I view change very negatively. Most of the sudden changes I've gone through were not my choice and not for the better. While every positive change has been painfully slow, if it happens at all. I know I'm supposed to view change positively, but I feel like I can't help but get anxious when surprise change seems like it's coming. And uh, another great question, something that's very easy to relate to. And Jed, where would we start off? Well, I first want to actually congratulate you for not just a great question, but for a lot of really good honesty that I think is already pointing you in a really good direction. I love the being clear that I don't like change. I view it negatively. I love the being clear that I've been through a bunch of changes that were really crappy. They were just everything got worse in my life. That's that's really good honesty and it's really good awareness. I love the awareness that the positive stuff is often uh, slow to the point of being ridiculous. And I appreciate and and, uh, want to praise as well the recognition of there's probably a place I'm supposed to land on this. There's probably a view that I'm supposed to ultimately have, but I don't have that view, and I'm not really sure what to do with that. This is all great. This is actually all good stuff. It's all necessary ingredients for getting where we're going and I, you clearly, from your question, I think you have the desire to get where you're going, so you're, you're most of the way there. So let me suggest a, a couple things to look at and to think about. You may have heard, this is an old cliche, uh, but it's a cliche for a reason. If you haven't heard it before, it'd be good for you to know, but it's particularly in the business world, a phrase people talk about of, it's not a disaster, it's an opportunity. And uh, people say that to cover when they've screwed something up. But here's the funny thing is there's actually a lot of truth to that. Most of the time, maybe not every time, but most of the time that things change around us, there are opportunities that are present in that change. Let me say that again. It's not all the time, but very often when things change around us, there are opportunities 
present in that change. And here's how you can begin to find them. Something in your life changes. Okay. As of right now, there are things that you can now do that you couldn't do before and that you may not be able to do later. A change has occurred in your life and there are things that are now available to you that weren't available before and may not be available again. They could be small things. Uh, they, they may not be huge and overwhelming, but we kind of don't know until we seize them and begin to see what we can do with them. I mean, this is a really, really tired example, but it, it does bear out. Starting the middle of last year, right, everybody's life changed massively around March. And for, again, not everyone, but for a lot of people, it meant way, way more time at home. Well, there's all kinds of things, almost limitless things they couldn't do. But suddenly there were things that they could do they didn't have the chance to do previously. They were able to spend more time with their kids or more time with their pets, more time with their partner. They were able to develop some hobbies that they hadn't done before. They were able to, to watch a TV show that they hadn't watched before. These are actually opportunities. And the thing of it is, with every change that you go through, almost by definition, yes, something has been taken away from you. Um, when, when things change, there are is almost always an element of loss in it, even like a really positive change, right? Like you, you graduate from college. It's a huge accomplishment. It's an amazing milestone and an achievement. You could choose to view it as a loss though, because like you can't just keep going to classes anymore because that, that period is over. So now it's got to be something else. When a change happens, there are things about it that we could view as a negative, but there are things almost always that are an opportunity for us. If we want to get to a place, which I think you do, of having a healthier view of change, of viewing change positively, to use your wording, I think a big part is starting to train ourselves to see those opportunities. That in the words of, of the cliched business bro, it's not a disaster, it's an opportunity. I think the more that you train yourself to find those opportunities, those things that you can do now, that you couldn't do before and you may not be able to do later, the more that you find those, I think the more comfortable um, and the more enthusiastic you will begin to become about change. I promise you there are opportunities waiting for you. There's cool stuff waiting for you and you can get better at finding them in the midst of changing circumstances. A really great place to start this discussion off. And Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, I exactly as, as Jed is laying out here, uh, at least in my life, all change arrives as, as a form of crisis. It is, it is an unwelcome thing. Uh, it, 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 exactly as he's saying, it, all of it involves some sort of additional something, you know, to it. It, it makes life more complicated, as he's pointing out. Um, so I, I think, you know, as, as he was talking about uh, in the previous show, managing expectations of how we feel about things like, change maybe that will help us get on the positive side of this a little better uh in terms of like yes i'm frustrated by this change i'm uneasy about it uh, but that's to be expected so you know let's move forward with that in mind so you know i think having that perspective helps a whole lot um i think it's also important to recognize that a lot of your life revolves around um, just a cycles and systems and habits and regular ways of doing things that don't require a lot of thought and don't require a lot of planning. So, you know, change means all that goes out the window. Now I have to think through a lot of my life and I'm not used to doing that. And that is a, a crisis of a certain kind. I mean, it, it is just more work, if nothing else. Uh, and it can feel like there's more things that can go wrong, which, you know, kind of applies. Um, but I think the right way to look at all of that is to look at if you change a lot, or not a lot of things, but if, if you have a regular amount of change in your life where it's a a regular fixture of what your life is about, then the amount of crisis that you feel behind it goes down quite a bit. You do acclimate to a certain rate of change, and that 
does change how you view all these things. If if you're a, if if you're just comfortable with that, that allows you to uh, see it as a positive. Uh, exactly as Jess pointing out there, you know, you're able to see it as a challenge. You're able to see that as uh, something other than I am not good enough as I am now. I think there's a lot of problems that we feel. Uh, we we feel we're not being acceptable as we are and we're not approved as we are. And maybe God isn't okay with us. And maybe the people around us and our employers and family and all that, they're just not approving of who I am and what I am. I think that's the first thing that we want to interrogate. Uh, If you're working on change, God is pleased with that. We are pleased with that for you. We're here to celebrate that. For you, get in touch with us if you need to. We'd be happy to celebrate uh, those changes that you're going through, even if it's just part way through. Uh, the the middle part's the, the tough part, and so why not? But I think uh, I would button this by looking at uh, one of the things I mentioned when I preached on this uh, on the Bridge Live broadcast, and that's this idea of growth as opposed to change. And I, I want I want us to maybe look at a lot of you know, when we talk about change, we really need to be thinking of it as growth and talking about it as growth, because growth is a continual thing, and and growth is, of course, what our Christian life is all about. That we're meant mm. to be growing, we're meant to be evolving, and we're we're meant to be moving past uh, what's going on with us and the struggles that we have, and and that process of overcoming and re- renewal is is a beautiful thing, and it's a wonderful thing. It's also exhausting, and it's also uh, challenging and tough. Uh, but that doesn't mean I'm changing so much as it means I'm growing. So I, I think the semantics of this really can uh, change your perspective. That's a great place to take that. And Lee, where do we close this out? Yeah, I would, I would look at um, something we actually talked about in our last episode, which was, uh, you know, the concept of making changes and looking at fuel for changes. Um, you know, the changes that you need to make in your life do require a lot of energy. They require a lot of fuel. And, and what happens is when you, when you work on something, then you get drained. Um, and one of the most important questions you can ask yourself is how am I going to refuel? How am I going to get energy back so that I can work on that thing the next day? Um, there is, there's this thing that happens in us, and I know this happens in me, and and I'm 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 guessing that it that this is something that you experience as well, which is when when a new challenge arises, and I recognize I'm going to have to make some changes. One of the most immediate kind of uh, fears that I have about that situation is everything is going to be upended by this thing in my life. Everything is going to be affected. Um, this new change that I need to make is going to flood its banks from this area into every single aspect of my life. The truth is most of the changes that you have to make aren't global in the sense of every single thing in your life is going to be completely and totally up, upended and affected. So a really cool thing would be in the midst of this challenge that I'm facing, in the midst of these changes I'm about to make, where in my life is there going to be some static normalcy? Um, you know, Jed mentioned the the what we all went through during the beginning of the the COVID nineteen pandemic and all of the the changes that we had to make, and yet there were some things that people were able to do the same. Like, you know, it was like, I, yes, I may have to be, I may be working from home now, but I've before the pandemic, I was a jogger, and I'm still going to be able to jog. Um, and in the midst of that, it's like jogging became for a lot of people, a really, really important moment of the day, because that was a normal part of their old life that they were able to use to refuel for the difficult challenges and changes that we were all having to make in the midst of that. So a really good question is, as I'm facing this challenge and as I'm facing these changes that I'm going to make, what are some healthy places of normalcy in my life that I can use to to refill up my tank for facing the challenge the next day. Every every change that I'm going to make is going to require a lot of energy. So I need to look at those places of normalcy, those places 
where I can, um, and, and whatever that is, maybe it's just like, look at, you know, midweek, I love to just kind of get on the couch and watch a movie. Even if that's like, I, I rewatch one of my old favorites or I, I, I like to spend some time after dinner reading a book, whatever that thing is, it, it could be little things, but what are the places in my life where I can experience some normalcy that I can count on so that I can refuel, re, refuel the engines for, uh, the, the, the massive amount of energy it's going to take to make those changes. I know for me, I get scared when new changes come up. That's my natural kind of reaction is, oh no, everything's changing. Well, not everything. So what are the places of normalcy that I can use to refuel myself for the changes I do have to make? That is an excellent place to take that and really great stuff from all these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, my life looks way different than I thought it would. Don't get me wrong. My life is really, really good, but sometimes I get this feeling like things haven't come together yet because 2021 me isn't living the life 2011 me thought I would be. Maybe that's silly, but what can I do with these feelings? And again, another very honest question and a really cool perspective on things. And Glenn, where would we start this off? Well, it is a very uh, cool question. It's a very important one because I I think a, a lot of people base their life on these kinds of thoughts without really doing the math. I, I think that we see all of life is a struggle between success and non-success. I think it's really a lot more complicated than that, and, and so that's a problem. But here's the here's a question that I asked him, and I want to ask you. If you can have all of the success in life that you're striving towards, but none of the trappings of success, you, you can't have the corner office, you can't have the, the big bonus, you you don't get to drive the company car, whatever the you know whatever your career involves, you don't win the Oscar or whatever, but you are successful uh, in in every important way, and you you know your peers recognize your success and all of that. Or what if you could have all of the trappings but none of the success at all? You know, you you have the corner office, you did not in any way earn it and you don't deserve it. And you were really not critical to the level of success at all, but you have all the trappings of success anyway. Uh, which would you choose? And and I asked him that question because it's my contention that the vast majority of people would choose the trappings over the success. That if I look successful, if I inherited a lot of money from my father and I have a real estate business and I'm throwing a lot of money around just to use a wild example, people if I have the trappings, people think I am a success. They assume that it just makes a certain amount of logical sense. You know, uh, this guy has the corner office. He must be doing something really good or whatever. So people would take the trappings and forget about the actual success. If that's not important. The problem with that, of course, ought to be fairly self-evident that if you have all the trappings and you know you don't deserve it and you know you haven't earned it and you know that you really in no way are a success, it's just an assumption people make about you and it's a false assumption, then you're not living a happy life. Uh, by contrast, if you have a life in which you do have real success but the trappings aren't quite where you want them to be, that you're not making quite as much money or you don't have, you know, you didn't win the award or whatever those things are, the, the promotion, etc. It can feel like that's a crisis. It can feel like I've done something wrong or I should have lived my life differently. But I think, you know, you, you, you describe um, that you have a really good life, which I'm very happy about, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and I don't know how you define a, a very good, uh, really, really good life, as you put it. Um, but I think a really, really good life is one that has a lot of meaning. Uh, if you've found a lot of meaning in your life and there's there's purpose to your life and what you do, mm. then I think it's important to recognize those trappings are nice to have. And sometimes you need that to get to a certain point with your lifestyle or what you're trying to achieve there. But it's important to recognize if you have the respect of your peers, if you have the respect of your family, uh, 
if you are loved and accepted by the people closest to you, you've pretty much got the world by the behind. That's what most people are trying to get in life. If you had the trappings instead and not that stuff, your life really would be empty. It's a really cool place to start that off. And Lee, where do we take things from there? Yeah, I, I love that you wrote the question in. And there's a there's a lot of sharpness in this question, a lot of honesty about it. I think it's probably my favorite thing about doing this show is the the honesty that people write in questions with. I mean, the people that listen to the show and write in questions are so, so cool. Um, but there is, and, and and I say this because I've fallen prey to it so many times, there is this, this kind of invisible trap in looking backward in a certain way that doesn't actually let you enjoy the good things that you have in your life. Um, you know, I mean, the way you say it in this question is so interesting. Exactly like Glenn's saying, you're, you're looking at your life going, it's so weird. I actually have a good life. And yet, Oh, it just doesn't compare to that thing I I thought I would have when you know back in the day or whatever. Uh, as a really really poor example of what I'm talking about, um, check this little story out from my week last week. I let me start it out by saying this: I make a really amazing breakfast burrito, like a grilled breakfast mm. burrito. I did not know this. These yeah, claims like, need to be independently verified. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I listen, the next time in Chicago, I'm I'm happy to submit the 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 cuisine to a panel for, you know, for a blind judgment. It shall mm. be so. Um <laughs> so and on this particular day um that I, I was thinking about like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna head to the house for for lunch and I'm going to make one of those breakfast burritos to be my lunch. And I was thinking about the, I was thinking about the the scrambled eggs. I was thinking about the, uh, I was thinking about the cheese that I was going to use. I was thinking about the bacon that was going to be a part of this breakfast burrito. And I'm planning the whole thing. I'm driving to the house. I get to the house. Colossal problem. There's no bacon. Mm. And when I tell you that the level of disappointment at the lack of bacon in that fridge was like I, I like I wanted to burn the whole place to the ground, you know, and it was just like there's no no bacon, and you know there was other stuff I could have made the the breakfast burrito with, but there was no bacon. I decided to abandon the whole project and just go buy you know go go buy a restaurant, pick up some food. And the food that I picked up was great. It was just a wonderful, awesome lunch. But it could never compare with the burrito that I had built up in my mind. It's just like there was this fantastical burrito that I will I will never have, Jed. It will never appear on a plate anywhere. It's the one that got away. Mm. <laughs> it's just, I mean, in my mind's eye, I could just see it. I could smell it. I could hear it sizzling in the pan as it was being turned, you know, with the tongs. It was just one of these things of like, it doesn't matter how good the lunch I actually got was, which was good. It'll never compare. And I think that, you know, the the breakfast burrito that wasn't just perfectly illustrates for me that the, the trap in looking backward is that I don't actually get to enjoy the cool stuff that that has happened in my life. The cool stuff, the cool story that I'm building, the cool friends that I'm making, the the situation that I'm in that is actually good stuff. I, I'm I'm growing. I like my job. I, I I've got some friends that I enjoy hanging out with. I can't actually see the the good in any of that if I'm constantly comparing it to yeah. But what if I had had that one thing? What if I had had that one thing? It, I'm actually putting my energy, my emotional energy is going into a fantasy rather than my energy going into the gratitude and the enjoyment of the actual life that I have. That's not me judging on you or anything like that. that that's me speaking out of the experience of knowing what it can be like to put energy backwards um, into something that isn't going to be. Um, I don't actually know how good your plan back in 2011 would have been. But I know this, there's no actual fair way for you to compare it. The best way for you to spend your energy at this point is to look at what do I have that I do enjoy? What do I have that God is lining up for me and hooking me up with 
right now and put that energy into the gratitude and enjoying what you've actually got going on right now, which, and, and just kind of work on a little bit at a time, jettisoning, jettisoning that, the, the idea of what it could have been and start and really, really putting focus and energy on enjoying and being thankful for what you've got. Another excellent layer to add to this. And Jed, where would we close this one out? I think this is a great question, man. And here's the thing I would want to encourage you on is that things change and that's okay. When I was a kid, one field that was, it was hot, man. It was, you could build a great career in it. And it was advertised all over the place was VCR repair. And then things Mm. changed. VCR repair is no longer a compelling career that a person can have. You cannot buy a VCR. You cannot repair them. That is over. The sentence, which was true, you can get your degree in VCR repair by mail. It's probably very <laughs> confusing to anyone under the age of 30. Every constituent yeah. piece. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So if you, you know, if you had been around then and you said, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get my VCR degree, my VCR repair degree by mail. I'm going to really make something of myself. The making something of yourself part is still valid, even though the VCR repair part, not so much. And that's right. okay. That, that's how life works, man. Uh, similarly, I came up in a time when the music industry is, was night and day different than what it is today. Uh, there, there is no comparison between the way music was recorded and distributed and all that stuff when I was a teenager versus what exists today. So the thing that I may have wanted just or thought I wanted just doesn't exist anymore. But this also actually kind of goes to the positive. What I can tell you is many of the best things in my life right now are things I would not have thought to have wanted 10 years ago. Many of the best Mm. things in my life today, the things that bring me the most joy, the things that bring me the most satisfaction, they were not on my radar 10 years ago. It's not that I thought, oh, that could never happen for me. I didn't think about them at all. I had no conception <laughs> of them. I, I, the, the thought, for example, my wife and I have a lot of fun doing scuba diving. That I had never occurred to me in any way that that's a thing that I would do or that a person would do. And so I think the thing that's in front of you is to ask, given that things change, both to the positive and the negative, given that you could have a vision of something today, but the, there are larger realities that change and that thing doesn't really exist anymore, and that new stuff can come into your life that you just had never thought of, and it can actually be really good. What do we do? Well, one of the things that I want to encourage you to at least think about is to ask, can you honor the spirit of younger you? Can you find, Mm. can you look at what was the stuff that younger me cared about in more of a big picture sense? Can you honor that while allowing the specifics to adjust and grow and reshape and evolve. Because if you can do that, if you can say, look, younger me cared about, I don't know, what, whatever it is, adventure or discovery or helping people or justice, doesn't matter what those things were. There, there were things that, in a, again, in a big picture sense that younger me cared about. If I can honor those things, but I can still live in the actual day and time and place that I live in the world then I think that we can have a cohesive life. There there doesn't have to be this disagreement between, as you put it, 2011 you and 2021 you. And the place that I think all of us really want you to land is to have peace in your life. Uh, The place that all of us want you to land is to have a sense of satisfaction in the hard work that you've done and the cool stuff that's come out of it. If we put ourselves in a prison of, you know, I made a promise to myself 10 years ago and I I have to abide by the letter of the law on that, it's going to be very, very hard to be happy. But if we're if we're willing to to loosen that up a little bit and say there were things that I cared about then that were true to who I was as a person and in an evolved way, I actually care about those things today, and I'm able to, to honor who I was and who I am today through the decisions that I make now and the way that I conduct myself now, I think you're really onto something. So again, we don't have to throw out either one. We don't have to throw out 2011U or 2021U, but I think mm-hmm. that we can bring them together by, by, 
recognizing that things change, honoring the spirit and the desires of, of who we once were and the realities of the world in which we find ourselves today, you can absolutely do that. I think it's such a great point and really great stuff from all these guys. The one thing I would, I would pick up from in your question is this idea that I, I get this feeling that things haven't really come together quite yet because I'm not on this track. And it's it's very easy to try to halfway that and really say, well, you know, I'm very I'm actually happy and content and have peace about things now. But it's going to catch a gear. You know, we're going to kick this up a notch. And I know that this thing is going to come down the pike. And it's like, I'm happy now. And I'll just be like happier on this continuum then. And the thing about that is that's not really how being content works. If there's this idea of, yeah, I'm totally content now. I mean, when this thing that I've been waiting for for the last 10 years happens, then I'll just be like, you know, I'll just just kick that contentness up to 11 and just be like uber content. Not really how that works. It's going to sow some, some unhappiness and some discontentment with where we are right now and kind of being proactive in the way you think about this and the way that these guys explain is going to help you actually have all every bit of that peace and contentment that we want you to have as you go through your life and take on the next challenges. Move on to our final question here. It comes in and says Philippians two fourteen and 15 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. When I was a kid, this verse was used to get us to do what we were told without asking questions. But questioning and even complaining if something isn't right is necessary sometimes in life, isn't it? So what does this mean? And another really cool question, and Lee, where do we start this off? Yeah, it is a really cool question. And and I think we need to kind of knock a couple things out of the way before we can figure out what this means. And And I'd be happy to start with some of that. One of the things that we need to knock out of the way is that a lot of people use Bible verses to get people to do things that are not right, to get to take advantage of people or exploit them in some way. And we we need to say, just from the top, God is against all of that. That is wrong. There is nothing good about that. There's nothing right about that. And this, the scriptures speak extensively about justice, about people not being exploited, about people not being taken care of, I mean, through that whole book. So first of all, the 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 way that somebody deployed this verse in your life um it just in order to get you to to do something um do what you're told and not question anything that's wrong um that's that's something that we need to say from the top A- another layer of this that we need to get rid of is the idea that well good christians they don't ever say if they're having a hard time they just put a good smile on it and and press on another thing that's we need to knock that down as well, because the scriptures are also filled with the enshrinement of honesty <laughs> that this the psalms say, "Pour out your heart to the lord the 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 songbook of God's people is absolutely chock full of songs where people said to God, "I don't like what's happening, and I think you need to get down here and get to work and fix it like <laughs> there's just a lot of that kind of thing in the scriptures. Amen. God has enshrined those in that book. He that's what he he wanted his people singing that stuff on a regular basis. And that was his way of saying, number 1, it's okay for you to feel that way, and two, it's okay for you to express that. So th- those are some things we need to say from the top. It's not right to to use the Bible to get people to do something and uh, it, take advantage of them, exploit them, and they're not allowed to say anything about it. That's that's flat out wrong. Also, repression is wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You are allowed to say when you're having a hard time. You are encouraged by the scriptures to say when you are having a hard time and when when you're not doing well, all of those things. And you are encouraged to say that to God. He's a big boy. He can handle every bit of that. One real quick thing before I pass this to those, these other guys is I think, and I'm sure these guys will talk about context but one of the things that's important to understand just about the book of Philippians is that you're looking at this guy who is spreading Christianity all over the place and just a guy that likes to go, 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 and he gets benched by getting put into prison. And everybody's looking at him and saying, you must be so upset because all these other people are out here uh, preaching about Jesus and you're on the bench in prison 
And basically, the whole first chapter of Philippians, leading into chapter two, he says, actually, Jesus knows what he's doing. I'm not, I, I, I am trusting that he is still using me here in ways that I didn't count on, but here I am. And I'm, and I also know that he's using those folks over there. What I want you guys to understand is that there is actually a really godly way to have a, a viewpoint that I wasn't counting on and an attitude that I didn't see coming. And when you're taking care of each other, just to change the way you view that whole thing, you're in a challenging, when you find yourself in a challenging situation you weren't ready for, there's a way to face that, that if you face it, you will be different than everybody else in the world. He literally says in these verses, you will shine like stars in the universe. The number of people who can face a challenging situation without just exploding into complaining about every aspect of that, it's a very low number. <laughs> when you find people who know how to face a challenge and who know how to look for what God is up to in that, that is somebody that is like the the whole thing is like the you know the 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 dark night sky and then there's one little star shining. Somebody who knows how to face a challenge, who knows how to look for what God is up to in that, who isn't just a gigantic ball of complaining. Um, that doesn't mean that we we don't ever talk about what we're you know we don't talk about pains or questions or anything like that. It just means in the context of this, this guy is trying to teach people to have a different perspective about challenges, uh, different than everybody else in their life, everybody else in the world. So uh, that's just a that's just kind of a, a brief introduction to this to uh, to this context. But we needed to knock those other things down out of the way. You are allowed to feel the things that you're feeling, and nobody gets to exploit you or manipulate you based on the scriptures. That is always an excellent place to start off. And Jed, where do we take this from there? Well, I love everything that Lee said, so let's just build on that just a little bit. I have two thought experiments that I want you to consider. So the first one is, let's, for a moment, let's take the people who use this verse in a weaponized form against you, which I'm really super sorry that happened. That's super uncool. But let's, let's take what they said at face value. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. The end. Okay, well, there's only one of two ways that that could occur. Thing number one is you have a life where, like, just mysteriously, everything just kind of works out for you, and there's just really never anything for you to complain about or to argue about. So you just you just don't. Which, dude, if that if you get to live that life, like, good on you. Congratulations to you. I'm happy for you. Um, I I. It's amazing. You are also literally the first and only person in the history of humankind <laughs> that has gotten that. So, like, I, you should write a book because I want to know what it's like to have had a life where there was just nothing to complain about or to argue about. That sounds incredible. Option two is that you're going to have a life where there are things worth complaining about and things worth arguing about, and you just don't. Like, people treat you unjustly, and you just say, Okay. And people treat those around you unjustly and you just say, okay, because you, according to the way this one verse and this one clause was presented to you, you can't complain or argue. Those are the only two ways that you could actually live out what was presented to you by the people when you were growing up. And again, version one of that has never occurred for anyone in the history of humankind. <laughs> version two of that clearly violates not only other mandates in scripture, like standing up for the cause of the poor and the oppressed, it also violates the example of both Jesus and Paul, the man who wrote these words, who we regularly see, if nothing else, arguing with people. Paul did a lot of arguing, as did Jesus. So, what we have to arrive at, unless I'm missing something, is the idea that what was presented to you is completely nonsensical. It was presented to a child to be controlling. And again, I'm so sorry that that was done to you. Now, as an adult, we need to own the fact that what was presented to you, not only is it not biblical, it's super not biblical, it's also just plain nonsensical. We, we need to start from that place. But then here's where we want to move with it. It's going to lead to our second thought experiment, which is, if this doesn't mean what I was kind of told it means, what does it mean? Where, where do I go with this? It says, do everything without complaining and arguing. 
But some things in life are worth arguing about. Some things in life are worth complaining about. So, so what do I do with that? Well, I have a thought experiment for you to, to consider. What if esteeming Scripture, particularly when we're not sure exactly what to do with it, means to hold it in our consideration when life gives us complex points of decision? Let me say that again. What if honoring Scripture, what if esteeming Scripture means to make it an important part of our decision-making process when we face complex decisions where there's not a clear moral right or wrong. There's not a clear go this way, not this way, which is actually how the vast majority of life works for the vast majority of us. So suppose that you're in a work situation and someone is really not treating you fairly you should stick up for yourself. You should absolutely do that. That is the right thing for you to do. No question. Can you do that in a way that is unnecessarily argumentative? Can you do that in a way that is unnecessarily critical and unnecessarily complaining? Sure, you can. Absolutely. And I wonder, and I want you to think about it. I'm not saying that you have to look at it this way, but I want you to think about it. Does honoring this verse mean saying, I'm going to remind myself that I don't that there is a form of complaining and grumbling and arguing that doesn't help anything, including me. And so I want to avoid that. That would make sense. I think that's something that you can do that also actually jibes pretty much perfectly with other things in Scripture, including other things from Paul. And all of a sudden, we've got something really cool here where we are able to live in the actual real world as a grown person. We are also able to be honoring of Scripture, even when we're not sure of what all of the details are of it, I think that's as much as anyone can ask of you. And I think that that is a place that you can be proud of, that you can feel good about. You need to be able to live the life of a real grown person with full agency, which is going to include arguing and complaining when the situation calls for it. We can absolutely, though, take the spirit of what we can understand from Scripture and bring that into our lives and help inform our decision-making, help inform where we put those left and right limits on how we approach things. We can do that. It is my belief that God is honored by that and that it allows us to, to live an actual normal human life in the real world, and I believe that it's time for you to claim that for yourself. Absolutely. All fantastic stuff. And, Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I, I think— I, I totally agree with these with these fellows are saying that I also want to sign my name to the bottom of we are not down with people misusing scripture to get some sort of selfish gain out of that. Um, I'm wondering when you read the verse, do everything without grumbling and arguing that you're hearing do everything without questioning it because that's not written down there. Uh, th- in fact, I think what we're going to discover is the 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 it, it is the lack of vocalizing this that's the real problem. Uh, so, if you look at the uh, and now, we're going to take a trip through the hallowed halls and the <laughs> deep underground bunker of the Bible Nerditorium. <laughs> Just put some echo on that in uh, in the post there, Matt. Anyway, um, the, the when it talks about uh, uh, grumbling there, uh, the Greek word there is gongusmos, and I I wonder, I'm really fascinating to know if that's onomatopoeic. You know, it's sort of a gongusmos. You know, it's sort of that sounds like a grumbling person. Um, the, that word means a secret displeasure that's not openly expressed. So when you read grumbling, that kind of is what we, if I said grumbling's a good word for that, you'd say, yeah, that's, you know, that's not bad. But when people twist that scripture around, maybe you're missing that that's the actual original idea there. The original idea is to have a secret displeasure that's not openly expressed. That's the bad thing, is not openly expressing it. Uh, and holding that secret uh, resentment or bitterness or just even just you think something's wrong and you're not expressing it that is 
grumbling, sort of, you can picture this, right? You're, 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 you're muttering under your breath, man, this isn't right. This isn't cool. This isn't what that's bad. But expressing to the person in charge, I don't know, man, this doesn't seem quite right. And sticking up for yourself as these people are talking about, that's the good, that's the righteous response to this. Mm. Uh, the questioning part is the righteous now, you, of course, you can do that in an evil way. You can do that in an argumentative way or an uncool way. You could do it with sort of a negative assumption of that, you know, that someone's just being dumb and, you know, you're kind of accusing them with that question in a certain kind of way. But coming with a, a really open heart and an open mind and asking the question, why is this a good idea? This does seem a little weird. Can you explain this to me further? That's actually the righteous response. Uh, I think if you want to look for other verses that might flesh this out, the Bible does talk about this idea of a root of bitterness that can that can crop up in relationships. The Bible talks about gossip, for example. Uh, it, it's this idea that you hold these things inside, and rather than going and confronting the person in charge and having the courage of your convictions and looking people in the eye and speaking up and say, I need you to explain this to me. I'm not sure I'm on board with this. Can you help me with this? Instead of doing that, you're, you're, you're sort of trying to build a consensus with other people, which ends up being a lot of people lighting torches and storming the castle and you know, gathering the pitchforks and whatever. And that that's the bad thing, that that kills good fellowship. It kills uh, a good uh, body of Christ, uh, kind of body life, uh, with all the gossip, with the bitterness uh, that that gets rooted in by underground growing uh, resentments that are taking place there. Every time this word gongosmos is used in Scripture, it's around that kind of situation. People are grumbling and muttering in groups off to the side and over here, and we're building a little consensus that we don't like. I don't like it, do you? You know, I don't like it either. You know, well, you know the, the, we should, you know, do, we should just keep griping about this and, and be rebellious about it rather than, you know, address it. Uh, so I think if, if if someone is telling you to stop doing gungosmos, the the right biblical response to that is you're right i should be telling you out loud how i feel about this and let you uh explain it to me and and if you don't have an explanation all you have is a manipulation then you're on the wrong side of this and i'm on the right side so i i think it that's we really want to to uh, take that and put it in its right context absolutely right all this stuff from these guys is great and it's it's a good time to check back on one of our general maxims on the show, which is, uh, you can break every rule that's in the Bible and Jesus will still love you. So there's also a part of, you know, you got to do all things without arguing point. No, I don't. But the Bible says that you should do that. You know, blameless, I'm going to be blameless and pure anyway, because washed by the blood of Jesus. So <laughs> you have to come up with a more compelling argument than that. There <laughs> is a more compelling argument than that, as these guys are pointing out. If you find ways to express yourself, to move on through your life that isn't constantly grumbling and complaining about everything. You're actually going to have a happier, fuller, a healthier yeah. life. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to feel better about yourself. But uh, uh, again, to echo the, what all these guys have said, we were very sorry that when you were a child, someone uh, used the Bible verse to try to shut you up. But uh, the beautiful thing about the Bible is, you know, it, it cannot be used to shut you up because the fundamental underpinning process of it is you're free and forgiven no matter what you do. So the things in and of it, that means all these little Side things, these smaller things, those are in there to help you live a better and happier life. They're not there just to get you to not do things or to do things that uh, don't inconvenience uh, people in authority or the Sunday school teacher or whatever. So we can move past viewing things in that way. All right, if you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask. If you want to keep that anonymous, we've been talking a lot about uh, the future and welcoming the future in these last couple of episodes. We're going to take out the of Jed song to that point. But first I will remind you, that you can check out our bridge cast every Sunday at 7 PM central time, or at your leisure over at facebook.com slash bridge Chicago. We're going to take out the song by Jed called already there, which is recorded nice. live at that same bridge Ooh. service. Yeah. That thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do with it. The say that podcast featuring this week's top say that prophecy. 
You will fight off all kinds of fire demons and tell all your friends how great the podcast is. <laughs> when I'm alone, when I'm alone, I don't know why, but I feel like something's wrong with me somewhere deep inside, and I get so scared that God, you're not with me, not this time, and that must mean I'm Yeah.